You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Exodus 33. Let's stand, please. It'll give you a chance to stretch. Exodus chapter number 33, verse number 18 through 23. And I, when I spoke to the staff, different men will speak on different mornings. And I referenced that verse where Paul said he determined not to come in heaviness. But I've got to be honest with you, I'm pretty heavy this morning. I'm not naturally like that at all. And I won't preach like that, I don't think. But I've got to be honest with you, my heart is like that. Exodus 33, verse number 18. I want you to see this prayer of Moses. He's having a conversation with God. And he said, I beseech thee. It's like he's saying, I beg thee. Please show me thy glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I'll put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. I want to draw your attention to verse 18, and then we'll use verse number 19 for the message as well. But verse number 18 Moses is living for God, but he's living around people that weren't. Moses is in the will of God, but he's in the wilderness too. Moses is weary. Moses is worn. The people he's trying to love and lead are worldly. Moses has just broken the Ten Commandments in a fit of righteous indignation because of the compromise in the camp. And now Moses is back in that private place with God, and Moses seems to say, God, I don't need what you gave me before. I appreciate what you've given me before, but I need something different, something deeper, something more than that for days like this. If I'm going to love, if I'm going to lead, if we're going to make it through, I don't need peace or safety or help. I just need you. So I beg you, I plead with you, show me your glory. For a little while today, I want to preach on this thought. It should be a good day for God to show his glory. Let's pray. God, I pray for your power to preach. I pray that you please give me liberty. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, that there'd be no glory in this for man. I pray that you'd be lifted up today. And I pray you'd give your people the ability to, to uh, tune in, to hone their heart in on heaven, and that you'd speak to us. I pray for power in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Psalm 27, verse 4, the Bible says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I believe today that with all my heart, if we could just get a glimpse of the glory of God in our churches this Sunday, that our world would be absolutely turned upside down by next Sunday. I don't want to be just saved enough to go to heaven and miss out on experiencing the glory of God on the journey. If we could see God in His glory today, I guarantee it, our preaching would be affected. Our praying would be affected. Our soul winning would be affected. Our attitudes would be affected. Our singing would be affected. Our church would be affected. 
our families would be affected. And from that, our entire world would be affected. I think about that day when the temple was dedicated, when Solomon had prayed. And the Bible said, the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Can I say, what good is church if God doesn't make Himself known while we have church? If just one time we could really experience God, it could change everything. It's amazing to me what modern day Christians beg God for. So much of what we're in a hurry to get from God only concerns what we need temporarily rather than what we desperately need spiritually. It's not uncommon to hear Christians beg God for help. And that's okay. It's not a sin. God's our helper and that's not a bad prayer. But no matter your situation, help is not what you most desperately need. It's not uncommon to hear Christians beg God for healing. And that's fine. God's our great physician. But no matter your situation today, healing is not what you most desperately need. Christians often beg God for political relief or to intervene in government. And I believe our government's in a mess and I'm upset about most of it and I'm mad about the rest of it. But can I say that is not what we most desperately need. It's not uncommon at prayer meetings to hear Christians ask God just to give us a good service on Sunday. And that's fine, and I, I hope we have a good service today. But I'll say a good service is not what we most desperately need. There's a lot of beseeching going on, but when's the last time you heard a group of God's people begging God to let them see just a glimpse of God's glory? We can't afford to just show up on Sunday and practice being in His presence. But I'm convinced we need to passionately pursue the person and presence of God every single day the petitions and the desires that we desire God to give us in our life would all be satisfied if God would just answer that one desire, show us your glory. I hear people say it all the time, we sure do need church, but I say we don't need church if God doesn't come to church. What we mean when we say we need church is we need God to meet with us at church. The glory of God manifested in this world would revolutionize it. Everything else would be satisfied if God would show up and show out. Every other issue of life would be settled if God would just show us his glory. In Psalm 46 verse 10, the Bible said, be still and know that I am God. But if you read that psalm, it's not still at all. The scene described in that psalm is a scene of confusion. The earth is wrapped in earthquakes. It's shaken by war. The, rages, uh, the storm of the rages upon the sea. But God's answer to man in a day like that is to be still and know that I am God. What he's saying is I'll tell you what you need. You don't need direction and uncertainty. You don't need peace in the storm. You don't need safety in the battle. What you need in days like that is me. You need me, myself. You need God to show up in his glory. He's saying, be still. Quit looking around. Quit running around. Quit trying to make something happen. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You need me to show up. God is not just a topic for you to study. God's a person for you to get to know on an intimate level. Imagine what it could do for the Christian. Imagine what it could do for the family. Imagine what it could do for the church. Imagine what it would shake up in our country if God would make himself known in all of his glory. What if today we could get the privilege of leaving the outer court and walking into the inner court? 
What if God would let us sit for a minute between the cherubims where Shekinah glory falls? Can I say today, our God is real. Our God is awesome. And our God is close. And our God wants to manifest himself in our presence. I think about the old song, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. God, give us a burden this morning to get back up on the mountain where God is. God, give us a burden this morning to not be preoccupied with things or preoccupied with self or preoccupied with issues, but to get a holy preoccupation and obsession with the person of God again. God, don't just show us joy. God, don't just show us peace. Don't just show us healing. Don't just show us blessing. But what we desire, what we hunger for, what we need is you, God, to show up and give us your glory. Oh, God, show up. Can I say this morning, God is absolutely glorious in everything. But that's because God is absolutely glorious in every way. The glory of God is who he is. He is glorious. His being is glorious. He is he's the source of all glory. When I think of God's glory, I think of something you cannot measure. I think of something that has no horizon. I think of something that has no bottom, nor does it have a ceiling. It's above the hell heavens. It fills the earth. It stretches across space, and it's simply who our God is. All hail the power of Jesus' name. All praise to him who reigns on high in majesty supreme. His name is glorious. His praise is glorious. His power is glorious. His heaven is glorious. His works are glorious. His appearing is glorious. His voice is glorious. And that's because he is glory and glorious in himself. The glory of God is intrinsic to God. God doesn't get glory loaned. God doesn't have to earn his glory. God doesn't have to have you wrap him in glory. God is the genesis of glory. Just, just like the sun is hot and just like water is wet and just like the sky is blue, so God and everything about him is utterly glory. Our God didn't just become glory. He didn't earn glory from everlasting to everlasting. That's just who our God is. Isaiah 45 says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There's no God beside me. I girded thee though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there's none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Psalm 24, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts is the king of glory. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. In him is light and no darkness at all. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and yet another glory of the stars, but it can't touch the hem of the garment of the glory of God. Moses said, I tell you what I want. I tell you what I need. I tell you what I desire. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. You consider that, it kind of makes it seem small to just pray for help. Kind of seems insignificant to just pray for peace. It seems kind of irrational just to ask God for a good service when Moses had enough faith to ask God to manifest his glory. Moses is an amazing man. You read his story in the Bible and you'll find he's amazing. The way God preserved his life as a baby, floating down a river in a basket's amazing. The fact that he was drawn from the river by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the palace of Egypt's king is amazing. The fact that he was called at a burning bush and God used him with stammering tongue to lead his people is amazing. To think that one man, a Hebrew, could bring down the Egyptian empire is amazing. Israel had spent 400 years making bricks for Pharaoh. 
Their backs bore the scars of 400 years worth of beatings by the hand of the taskmaster. 400 years worth of mire caked their bodies from the brickyard of Egypt. For four centuries, the story of the Jew was a story based in Egypt and based in bondage and based in chains until God called Moses. Moses had a ministry of deliverance. His ministry was a ministry of leading God's people out. When Moses came on the scene, the story of Israel changed. No longer was it in Egypt, but now it's headed toward the promised land. No longer was it in chains, but now it's in liberty. No longer was it making bricks for Pharaoh, but now it's pressing on toward the promises of God. God works through this man Moses to lead his people out of bondage. Now in Exodus 33, Israel's in the wilderness. They're encamped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses at the beginning of the chapter is meeting with God in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the center of Jewish worship. If man wanted to meet with God, he'd find God in the tabernacle. The Bible tells us that Moses approaches the tabernacle and the cloudy pillar that represented the presence of God met him at the door of the tabernacle. From that cloudy pillar, the voice of God begins to resonate and he speaks with Moses like a man speaks with his friend. He directs Moses to go back up on Mount Sinai. In verse number 12 to the end of the chapter, we find the commentary on that conversation God had with Moses on the mountain. If you look at verse number 18, we come to our text for the message and we find that Moses asks God to show him his glory. Look at verse 18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now you'd think today that if anybody had ever seen God to satisfaction, it would have been this man by the name of Moses. Moses got to see God in ways that few other men would ever get to see God. But in this request, we find that the heart of Moses hungered for more. Moses has already seen God in providence. He's already seen God in power. He's already seen God in provision, but he wanted to see God in person. He wanted God to manifest his glory. God has showed up to Moses in a burning bush. Moses has seen God when the manna fell from heaven. Moses has seen God as the Red Sea was divided. Moses saw God in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. But Moses needed more from God. He's at a pivotal point in his ministry. He's at a pivotal point in his life. It's a pivotal point for his nation. And Moses says, God, what we've made it on thus far won't take us across the finish line. We've got to get more from you. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I read my Bible. The church is to give God glory. The creation is to give God glory. The Christian is to give God glory. When Jesus was born, the angel sang and gave him glory. But here Moses is not asking God to receive glory. He's asking God to reveal his glory to man. When Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He's praying something so holy. It's different than Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel. It's different than Daniel's prayer in the den of lions. It's different than the prayer that came from the Mamertine prison or the prayer preceding Pentecost up in the upper room. This is a prayer unlike any other prayer uttered by the lips of a mortal man. And Moses says, God, I want to see you. I want to look upon you. Show us your glory. Now I was studying this and here's what stirred my heart. What makes this so interesting are the circumstances that surround this time in Moses' life. Consider it with me. Why does he want to see God this way? Moses has been living 
living for God, but he's not living in perfect circumstances. He's living for God, but he's not living in perfect conditions. Can you imagine the physical and mental and emotional and spiritual toll that being a leader would have on this man? He had to stand before Pharaoh. He was fearful. He had to stand before the Egyptian magicians. He was fearful. He had to stand at the Red Sea and wonder if it would part. Think about it. Moses is wandering in the wilderness. He's weary. He's worn. He's tired. He's wondering what God's going to do. He's battled Pharaoh. He's had emotional stress upon his life. He's left what he's known to go someplace he's never been before. His nation needs deliverance and his nation lives and dies on his ability to follow the will of God. All of those years of crying, all of those years of affliction, all of those years of bondage, it was up to Moses to lead them into the promised land. He stands at the brink of the Red Sea and his flesh probably thought, I don't know if God's going to make a way or not. He's weary. He stands there as people are murmuring and watches as manna comes down from the sky. There's pressure on his life. He's got to secure the livelihoods of these people. The well-being of his nation is now under his accountability. He has pressure physically from walking. He has pressure mentally from wondering what God's doing. He has pressure spiritually from warring against Amalek and Egypt and himself. But more than that, Moses is dealing with people. You study it out. Moses is dealing with people in a strange land that were less than spiritual. They were the people of God, but they weren't godly people. They'd been a long time in Egypt, and Egypt's been a long time getting in them. The people that Moses was leading were also weary. They were also worn out, and they were more than just a little bit worldly. They'd prayed for deliverance from Egypt, and God got them out, but God hadn't gotten all of Egypt out of them. They were headed toward Canaan land, but their hearts still had a little bit of a turn back toward that old land of captivity. If you look back into Exodus 32, and you can study that at home, I'll just summarize it. We find the infamous occasion where Israel makes an idol and calls it God. It's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai meeting with God. Moses has received the two tablets pinned by the very finger of God. Moses is in one of the most spiritual places he's ever been in his life. But while Moses is on the mountain walking with God, the children of Israel are far from spiritual. They begin to murmur about Moses' leadership. They begin to question his authority and his direction. They begin to ask, why in the world does Moses spend so much time up on that mountain with God? And they keep saying, this man, Moses, now used to be the man of God, but now he's just that man, Moses. I don't even know if he's ever going to come back down off the mountain. They begin to cast doubt on the office that Moses holds. They go to Aaron, and they begin to pressure Aaron. They say, we don't know what's become of this Moses. I tell you where he was. He was praying for them. He was getting along with God for them. He was receiving instruction for them. But they said, we don't know what happened to Moses. He might not ever come back. He said, we got to do something down here. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron, I don't know why. Aaron seems like he lost his mind. He's overtaken by the carnality of that crowd. And they take their earrings and their bracelets, the very culture of the world. They take the culture of Egypt and craft a God that they 
they would like to worship, a golden calf. You know the story. And Aaron says, behold, that's the God that brought you out of Egypt. That's not true. That's a lie. You say, why would Aaron do that? I don't know. He knew it wasn't right. And by the way, every compromiser, pre-compromising preacher knows they're not right. Say amen right there. The people begin to take their clothes off. It just goes with compromise. And they begin to have their worship service. And the sound of drums echoes through the valley below the mountain. Moses has been in the very presence of God for them. And here they are wrapped up in worldliness. Moses and Joshua come down off the mountain. And at first they think is the sound of war. It's bad if your church music sounds like the noise of the world. Say amen right there. They think there's a war going on. And then they say, no, that's people singing. That's people uh, praising what in the world's going on. And they look and they see Israel worshiping that golden calf. Can I say that is sin in the highest degree, outright idolatry. Moses hears the worship, but they're not worshiping the God of heaven. They're worshiping an idol. Now think about it. Moses has put his life on the line for them. Moses has prayed for them. Moses has desires for them. Moses had risked his own soul for them. Moses sees the worldliness. He's weary. He's worn. He feels the pressure and he gets angry and discouraged and he breaks the tablets and all of that goes into that prayer of Exodus 33. That's why Moses hungered so much for God because the condition of his people and the condition of his nation and the state spiritually of those that he was leading, he said, God, we can't just make it with manna. We can't just make it with water. We can't just make it with fire. We can't just make it with a cloud. I need to see you, God. I need to feel your presence, God. I need you to be real, God. Not what you did yesterday, but today, show me thy glory. Moses has been worshiping. He's been praying. He's been in the presence of God and Israel's eating, drinking, and playing, and it breaks his heart. Moses says, God, I just got to tell you something. I'm worn out. Man, this is a heavy burden, God. God, you know I've interceded so many times for these people. God, I love this nation. I could have stayed in Egypt and made a lot of money, had a lot of power, but Israel's my nation. God, you know I'm worn out. You know I'm weak. I tell you, God, I need something deeper. I need something sweeter. I need something more real than ever before. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now Moses isn't naive. He knows some things aren't going to survive being in the glory of God. There's some things that can't get in the presence of God and live. That's why Isaiah, when he saw God, said, Woe is me. But Moses said, no matter the cost, I want the presence of God. I need the presence of God. Now, if I can bear my heart to you today for just a moment, I want to bear my heart and say this. I sure want to see God manifest himself. I mean, see his glory in our generation. I want to see it for the sake of our homes. I really want to see it for the sake of our church. I said at men's prayer, so many text messages this week. And whenever we say that kind of stuff, I hope you don't think we're saying that stuff to just to say it so you think, oh, they're very important. Just to illustrate, saying things like, we appreciate your church. Thank you for what you're doing. We, we need your church. But that's convicting because we know better. They don't need our church. They need the God that moves at our church. But if they need that, how much the more do we need that every time we meet together? Can I bear my heart and say that I desire to see God move in our generation? 
I don't want to just dabble in it or sprinkle it on like it's extra. It's essential to us. We need more than just the things of God or a knowledge of God or thoughts about God. We need to see God. These are days like Moses' days. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel myself a little bit worn, a little bit weary, uh, just a little bit, a little bit worried even about what's going on in our country. It bothers me, and I understand this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's all fine, but it's, I, I'm living here right now. And I kind of have a burden for my nation. It kind of bothers me. We had someone call in to KNVBC and ask us to talk about critical race theory and how to help their children not buy into that. And that's rampant in our public school system. It kind of bothers me that the government wants to dictate to me what I do with my body. They were all my body, my choice until it fit the political agenda of the left. It kind of bothers me that they're causing division uh, among different races and classes of people. It bothers me that these school boards would sit there and watch parents parents weep and see teachers resign and yet they're so crazy out of their mind on their liberal Marxist politics and they just they say no 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 your kids are going to wear a mask and then you have these kids throwing up and passing out and getting sick and expelled from school they don't expel someone from school for hate speech that we would say hate speech but somebody who won't wear a mask you can't come back to school I mean it bothers me just a little bit that gas is over a dollar more per gallon than what it was a year ago and inflation's higher than it's ever been it kind of bothers me just a little bit that perverts are paraded around on your streets and on my television and they try to convince my child that that's normal and acceptable. That's an abomination in the eyes of God. Can I say it's a sad day in America. It's a sad day when the church is censored. It's a sad day when the church is barred and it's a sad day when the church cowers in the presence of those that don't have we, we have the power. They don't have the power. But it's a sad day when churches are limping to Egypt. Is it a march to Zion. It's a sad day in our country. The corruption in our leadership. It bothers me that we have a president. And, he, and I, I don't understand. It bothers me. He doesn't even know where he's at half of the time. And the other half of the time, he ought not be where he is. It bothers me that our elections all of a sudden, our recall election is now totally mail-in. That's real convenient. It bothers me what's going on in our country. It bothers me the Afghanistan situation and all of those men and women that bled and died and gave up family and home to go over there and liberate some oppressed people. And it bothers me that Disney will go to Atlanta, Georgia and say, we can't film movies here because of your abortion laws. But they'll go to China. Amen. They'll go to China. One of the biggest, one of the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest culprits of injustice to people. And they'll shoot their movie there. Can I say it's a mess in America? And it bothers me just a little bit. It bothers me what I see going on in our churches. It bothers me the carnality. It bothers me the compromise. It bothers me the things I'm seeing happen in the house of God. It's like playtime for spiritual babies. Is it a battle time for Christian soldiers? We'll not have an America if the church is like Chuck E. Cheese. We'll not have an America if we just come and pop our bubble gum and skip down to the altar. We need God to meet with us in our churches. If this place doesn't stand, if we don't keep our finger in the dam, if we remove our hand from this thing and the flood water just comes through. Your children won't have an America and my children won't have an America and we won't have a church to attend in another year from now. We must have the glory of God. I'm glad I've seen God before, but I need to see him now. Moses said, God, I'm thirsty, but I need more than water and I'm hungry. I need more than manna. I need you. He said, where are you going to see him? Let me give you an answer and I'll close. He said, God, I want to see your glory. God said, if you want to see my glory, here's where you'll see it. Number one, 
by seeing my goodness. Look at verse 19. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. Now listen, I understand what I just preached. I'm going to get talked about. I know that. I got texts from preachers I don't even know this week saying, praying for you, appreciate your stand. I know you get a lot of people talking. I don't know that till you. It's like he always said, I don't know that till you tell me that. I could care less. Because my son is more important to me than some backslidden used to be Baptist preacher. And our church is more important to us than what the world thinks. If I'm going to see God's glory, I'll see it in his goodness. I remember Brother Martinez preaching this during COVID. Psalm 27, 13, I'd fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can see what you want. But I choose to let my eye of faith fall on the fact God is still good. Let me ask you, has God not been good in your life? I mean, in spite of it all, has God not been real, real good in your life? How many of you would vote and say God's been better than good in your life? I think about the song that says, arms that can raise, a voice that can talk. Think about it. God's been good. Food on our table, a good place to sleep, clothes on our back. Think about God's been good to us, a home, a church, uh, the country that we live in still yet. God has been better than good. God's been good to give you breath. God's been good to give you a heartbeat. God's been good to give you your health and your family. I mean, I care about uh, what God's doing. I mean, in my life, I'm thankful for it. But sometimes I just got to step back and see the fact that God has been good. And you start to meditate and dwell and really think about how blessed you are. We complain a lot. We just do. We complain a lot. We complain a lot during the week, even as staff, you know, well, we got to blow. We got to do this. We got to do something else. All right. And we complain. And I do it. We all do it. Everybody does it. We get weary. Man, we're too blessed to be that way. God's been so good to us. We got the best situation in the world, man. What, what are you talking about? God's been good in our life. Stop and consider it. You'll see his glory. If you look at his goodness, number two, you'll see his glory. If you think about his name. See what he says? He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. Moses, Moses said, I'll tell you what I need, God. I need to see your glory. God said, if you want to see my glory, then think on my name. You just mention the name of somebody and it conjures up thoughts in your mind and feelings in your heart. It gives you a direct opinion of that person. What can I say from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. If you say, I want to see God's glory, then think on his name. He's Elohim, the God of creation. He's Jehovah, the God of redemption. He's Adonai. He's the master. He's El Elion, the most high God. He's El Olam, the everlasting God. He's El Shaddai, the almighty God. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nisai, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah, uh, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there. And that's just the Old Testament. There's a man named Simeon in the New Testament waiting on the salvation of Israel, waiting to see the glory of the Lord. And he sees a little baby and he looks in his eyes and he say, what's his name? His name was Jesus in the New Testament. He's our advocate in our ancient of days and the all in all. He's the bread of life and the brazen serpent and the bridegroom. He's the stone, the builder said it not. And the stone of the corner, thank God, he's the rock of ages cleft for me. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the chiefest of 10,000 to my soul. Better than that, he said, Moses, you know who I am. I met you on that mountain on the backside of the 
desert. I told you who I was back then. I am, I am that I am. He's saying I'm everything you need, everything you're gonna need, and everything you've ever needed. If you need healing, that's what I am. You need hope, that's what I am. You need salvation, that's what I am. You need direction, that's what I am. And Moses said, God, I'm weary, I'm worn. God says, settle down, stand still, think about who your God is, and you'll see my glory. Lastly, he said, you'll see God's glory in his favor. Look at the end of the verse. He said, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You know, God wasn't obligated to save anybody. But thank God he made a way for everybody. God's not obligated to be so good in my life. I guess on the merits of Christ, maybe he is, but every day shows me grace and mercy. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. What's mercy? Mercy's not getting what you do deserve. Thank God I got what I didn't deserve and didn't get what I did. He gave me grace and mercy in my salvation. That publican said, oh, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'd be in hell right now. Here's an old country preacher saying, I'd be in hell right now with my back broke. But thank God I'm a child of the king. You say, I just want to see God's glory, then stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. Not only in salvation, but His grace and mercy in the storm. How many times have you walked through the valley and found the psalmist was right, that there's a shepherd that leads right through it? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. I wonder what it would change, what it would impact if we saw God that way. I wonder when the last time you read your Bible was and you saw God that way. I wonder when the last time you prayed and you saw God that way. I wonder if your children, I wonder if you men, I wonder if you've ever even seen God that way. This morning I was in the office and Brother Reemers came through with his, two of his little girls. And then I was thinking about my little boy, and then I looked out my back glass, and you didn't see me, Brother Brandon, but you, you all were walking down that road with your little girl and laughing and playing with her. And I called you right after that immediately, and I was, I was broken on that phone, and he was broken as I talked to him. I said, I tell you, I'm scared, I said, I'm scared to death, worried. I said, my little boy might have to grow up and be a soldier whether he wants to be or not, the way our country's going. We have to have God do something real for us for the sake of the next generation. And God help us if we don't see revival and we drop the ball or if we're just content to show up, mark it off the calendar and say, you know what, we went to church today, God bless you, and let our country go to hell. I don't want that. Somebody's got to be man enough, courage enough, brave enough, conviction enough to stake their finger in that hole and keep that water from coming through the dam. It might come through. But let it come through around our hand. Amen. Amen. Moses said, God, I'm weary. I'm worn. People are worldly. If I'm going to go forward, I've got to have you. If our nation's going to make it, we've got to have you. This morning, I'm just kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying this. If we're going to see God do something, we need to get serious about it right here at this place. And if not us, then where? Would you pray that prayer this morning? I wonder if you would. God's been good. Good in our life. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. 
For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.